Thank you for the breaking of bread and for the opportunity you gave us to contemplate and meditate upon your service for us, how the glorious one became a slave that we might become his children and even kings in his kingdom. We just thank you, Father. We thank you for everybody that's here today. And I ask you, according to Ephesians 5, uh, that you might fill us with your Holy Spirit so that what is done, whether it be in singing, in teaching, in speaking, in serving, Father in heaven, that you might be glorified and that we might grow. Like Andrew said, we thank you for your word. But we realize too, Father, to be able to understand it, we need you to work in our hearts. We need you to enlighten our hearts, as Paul says, that we might know what you would have us know today, Father. May your spirit enlighten us. May your spirit encourage us. And may your spirit propulse us to live for you. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Uh, I'm sorry, but I changed the title of the message because I believe that it went a little bit more with the passage that we're looking at this morning. Uh, so the title of the message is uh, Learning to Walk in Christ. I'm thankful for Andrew because he prayed that we might learn how to walk in Christ. Let's look at Ephesians 4, 17 to 22. Now this I say and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of purity, impurity. But that is not the way you learned Christ. Assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus. To put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Why does Paul use the word walk? This is a, a very, very important word and uh, an extremely important motive in the book of Ephesians. It's used eight times, starting in Ephesians 2, verse 2, when it speaks about us having walked in a certain way in our former lives. In verse 10, where Paul says that we have been created for good works, that we may, and I don't know what your version says, but the original says, that we may walk in them, in chapter 2 and verse 10. Then we have in verse for chapter 4 and verse 1, we want you to walk in humility. Verse 17, it's used twice, that we would walk not as the Gentiles, as they walk. In verse 5, 2, 
walk in love, verse eight, I believe it is walk in the light, and verse 15, walk in wisdom. Walk is a biblical substitute for conduct. It's a way that the Jews in, their, in the first century, they talked about the way that they conducted themselves. They used the word walk as we would act in our daily lives. Walk implies motion and destination. As Christians in our walk, we are asked to, to have activity, to be mobile, and we should have a destination. And the destination, according to what we saw last week with Nathaniel, is that we become mature in Christ. The thing is that in the Christian life, we either walk forward or we walk backward. What Paul is asking us to do is be on the movement, walking forward toward our destination. Walk in this section of Ephesians is the good works of chapter 2 and verse 10. Many people read Ephesians and they get to chapter 2 and they say, okay, God, uh, we are his workmanship created for the good works that he has prepared in advance so that we might walk in them. And then we say, well, how can I know what those good works are that God has prepared in advance? The key is that word walk. The good works that Paul is talking about in Ephesians are found in chapter 4 to chapter 6. Well, the end of chapter 5, let's say. So walk in this section of Ephesians is the way that we might know the things that God has prepared in advance for us. We might become the work of God. We might become the poem of God so that we might walk in the good works. Uh, walk implies a negative and positive action. Uh, Paul uses this in the verses that we just saw in the sense that he says that we must put off and then we must put on. He's probably thinking of what they did in baptism when a person would take off his clothes, go down into the water, come out of the water, and be clothed in new clothes. In early church, well, second and third century at least, it was being putting on a, a white robe as a sign that they had gone under the water, they had died with Christ, they are raised now, and they should live in newness of life. Uh, the idea of the walk implying negative and positive action is because, like I think we said last week, there's a lot of uh, commandments that are given in chapter 4. We'll look at some later on. And uh, we, we might say to ourselves, well, don't lie. Uh, don't have bad speech. Don't let the sun go down upon your wrath. And, you know, if you're like me, what I try to do is not do what God doesn't want me to do. But in reality... That's not the way to walk the Christian life. It's not necessarily to not do what God doesn't want me to do. It is more a question of doing what God has called me to do. People, when they try to not do what they shouldn't do, they fall miserably. Because God hasn't given us the power to do that. God gives us the power through his spirit to walk positively in the ways that he has given us. The next slide, 
I call it the, the walk of the old humanity. Paul in Ephesians, from chapter 1, going right until the end of chapter 6, talks about the church, or God's people, being a new humanity. When it talks about putting off the old self and putting on the new self, the word self is the word in Greek, anthropos, from which we get anthropology, which talks about humankind. It's not one man, it's all of mankind. And so when Paul talks about taking off and putting on, he's talking about the walk of humanity. Before we became Christians and we became part of the new humanity, we walked as the human beings walk in this world today. Like Andrew said in his prayer, we look at the world today, we look how the world is living. I, I, I don't believe it's just because I'm getting older, but I'm getting more discouraged with every day. Everything is going to pots. It's really, it sucks. Can I say that in church? It sucks anyway. It sucks. It's really bad. No matter where you look, no matter how you look, everything is bad. It's because of the old humanity. It's because of the old creation and the way that they are walking. And in reality, they can't do very much about it. We are commanded to put off or put it away. He doesn't say today, Monday, we'll put on our old clothes and live according to the old humanity. He says we've got to put it away far, far away in some closet really far and what we've got to do is put on the new humanity and we have to live that new humanity every day. If we want to have influence in this world, if we want this world to change, if we want the people to understand who Christ is and who Christians are, we must live the true humanity. It's amazing in Ephesians, very rarely does he talk about individuals. He talks about the church. It says in chapter 3, we went there too, is that the principalities and the powers will know by the church the manifold wisdom of God. The principalities and powers I won't take any of Balaji's thunder, but he'll be preaching on chapter 6. But the principalities and powers are another very, very strong motif in the, in, in the epistle to the Ephesians. And in today's world, the reason why we're living things that are not going forward in the walk, but going backward, the reason we're living in that is because of the principalities and powers that are in and around us, the Bible says they're even with us here in church today, and they are looking on and they are learning by what we're doing. It even says in Colossians that the principalities and powers can be redeemed. They can be reconciled. I don't think he's talking about salvation for eternity there. What I believe he's talking about is that the way that the world is going can be reconciled to God through the conduct or through the walk of the church. We want to have influence in this world. We want to do something about everything that's terrible. The church is responsible before God to be the light that she is called to be and to walk in the way that God wants. 
Paul is very, very strong. He says, this I say and testify in the Lord must no longer walk as the Gentiles. It's not a question of I, I can pick and choose what I want to do and how I want to live my life, how I want to conduct myself. No, Paul in these words saying this word for say, it is used in the, the Greek literature of the time uh, by the emperors and by the kings that when they would give a decree, it is this word that is used here. So Paul is not just saying something, he's decreeing something. When he says, I testify, well, he's saying that this is true above everything. And you must, not if you want, but you must no longer, no longer live or walk as the Gentiles walk. But for this to happen, we must commit to doing it. We must look at our lives. We must see how we are conducting our lives and in what if we take Ephesians chapter 4 going into chapter 5, we've got to look at our personal lives. We have to look at our lives with the other church members. We have to look at our lives with our husbands and, and wives. We have to look at our lives with our children. And we have to look at our lives, uh, if you want, at work or in the roles that we are playing within this world under submission. And so... We must commit to doing that. We must commit to loving our wives. We must commit to bringing up our children and not irritating them. We must commit to acting toward those who are over us in any kind of situation or conduct. We must commit to living for them, not for ourselves, but living for them. The walk of the old humanity is a walk where the only person that's important is myself. What Paul is calling us to do is not to live for oneself, but to live for others. How the old humanity walks. Thanks, Keith. First, it is confused in its reasoning. And second, it is corrupt in its regulation. I just tried some rhyming here. Just means that their heads are not on straight and their walk is absolutely horrible. Why are they confused in their heads or in their reasoning? The Bible says the people that are walking according to the old man or the old humanity are people that are walking in a way that their lives are useless, they're futile, there's no purpose. There's nothing there that's important. As we get older, I think we look more for purpose in our lives. For those that are walking according to the old humanity, in our minds, we're thinking in a futile and a useless way. He says also that we're blind. Our minds have been blinded. The people that are walking around us and that are living around us and are living according to the old humanity, the old man, these people, they can't do anything else. They can't see. They're blind. That's why Paul in chapter 1 from 15 to 17, he prays that their intelligence might be enlightened so that they might know. 
No one can come to God unless God brings them, and no one can come to God and change their lives unless God enlightens their hearts. It is impossible. We can complain about everyone around us. We can complain about Trudeau. We can complain about Trump, Biden. We can complain about our teachers. We can complain about anybody we want. Most of them are in a dark, dark place, and they don't know any better. They're alienated from God, which is even worse. The person that is a member of the old humanity is a person that does not have God. He has been alienated from God. He is not a child of God. He's not a a, a person of God. He is an alien toward God. I know that here in Quebec we can talk to many people and they will say, well, everyone that is born is a child of God. It is not true. The Bible states when we are members of the old humanity, it is not God that is sovereign over our lives. It's who? The devil. Satan. And so I do not, as a member of the old humanity, belong to God. I belong to Satan. And I can't do anything about it. I become ignorant. My heart is darkened. I'm alienated from God. And I don't know what to do. And that is the position or the state of most of the people around us. They're corrupt in their regulation or in their lives. They're told to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life or your former walk, and is corrupt through deceitful desires. This, This verse, it has been important to me for so long, in the sense that when we desire something, the desire never stays at the same intensity. I get something, And I want more. I get what I wanted more, and I want more. Deceitful desires. What are deceitful desires? They are desires that play with us. You're going to be satisfied if you do this. You're going to be happy if you do this. And we think of all different kinds of ways to act in our lives, in our darkness, in our futility, in our ignorance. And in reality, all we're doing is going down and down and down and down. Paul says we have hard hearts. Which means, like with Pharaoh in the Old Testament, that we have taken a position vis-a-vis God to not listen to him. Our hearts are not inclined to want God, to know God, to love God. We are completely against God. And our hearts like to stay that way. We become callous. Callous, in a sense, is like a, a wart, I guess, or a, something where I, who, I was with someone year, yesterday that had worked and he had blisters all over his fingers. Well, that blister will come off, and what happens? We play with it enough, it'll become a callous, it'll become hard. And maybe we like that because then it won't hurt no more. There's no sensitivity. It's insensitive. And so, in our former way, what has happened when we have turned our hearts against God, we've become callous in the sense that we don't recognize what is good and what is bad. We don't recognize what is godly and what is evil. We don't recognize it. This one gets me. Not being able to recognize 
the difference between good and evil. Paul says that they have given themselves over. They've self-abandoned. That word is also used in Romans chapter 1 from verse 18 to 32. In chapter 1, verse 24, verse 26, and verse 28, it says God has abandoned them or God has given them over. And as we see what Paul says about when God gives us over, man all of a sudden, he becomes abnormal. He does things that are not normal, that are not according to nature. And he gets to the point where, at one time, he's worshipping birds, then he's worshipping quadrupeds, then he's worshipping reptiles, and finally, he's worshipping the things that are the most basis on the earth. You ask yourself, well, why do people, why are people like that? It's because God has given them over. Why doesn't somebody believe in God like I believe in God? It's because God has given them over. But in Ephesians, the same phrase is used, and it does not say that God gave them over. It says they have given themselves over. And that is true. Go against God. Have a hard heart. God will permit you to give yourself over to the life that you want. And when he does that, it's almost like a spiral that does not go up, it goes down. We become sensual in the sense that we are always searching to answer the need of our senses. We're impure in the sense that we're not natural. That's how I take it. And we're greedy in the sense that we always want more. That's how the old humanity works. That's how the old humanity walks. You have to look at yourselves this morning. I have to look at myself. And we have to ask ourselves, am I walking according to the old humanity? Do these words refer to my conduct? Or do they not? And if they do, I've got to get right with God. I've got to get my heart right with God. So that God can stop abandoning me. So that I can go and grow in him. Let's say the new humanity. It says we must learn Christ in the verses that we looked at. Learning Christ. The word that is used here in the original for learn is the word that is used for disciples. They are being taught. They're learning. And so what Paul is saying here is we must be discipled to learn about Christ. It is a question of discipleship and it is a question of conformity. To learn Christ is to become his disciple and it is to become like Christ. That is what it is to learn Christ. It's lessons. It says that the truth is in Jesus. This is a rare phrase because many times, most times, Paul does not use the title Jesus. He uses Christ. He uses Lord, he uses Jesus Christ, Christ Jesus. But here in Ephesians, he uses the truth that is in Jesus. And I, you know, I was thinking about that. It's almost as if he's putting an emphasis on the humanity of Jesus. He's saying, you want to know what it looks like to live the true humanity, to walk as the new humanity? What you have to do 
is you have to learn how Jesus walked as the perfect human here on earth. There's verses in 1 Timothy chapter chapter 3 where Paul, he, he says, I'm writing you these things that you might know how it is proper to live in the church of God uh, the, the, the column and the support of the truth. And then he names four things. And these four things, Gentiles, God, uh, angels, uh, earth, heaven, the four things that he names are contrasts. And what I think that Paul is doing there, he is saying, because he talks about true godliness or living the true humanity, he is saying that true godliness is the marriage between the carnal and the divine, in the sense that true godliness is living as God wants us to live in this world. It is to be able to say, okay, listen, I'm a doctor. I, 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 I'm a man that makes a lot of money, Stephen. Uh, I, I'm Daniel. I, I make a lot of food. Or I, that's okay, but what God wants is in your humanity to live as he wants, but what God wants is that in that humanity, you live as Jesus himself would live. Some people say to me, Les, I'd love to be in God's service and to be full time for him. Brothers and sisters, friends, every single Christian that's a disciple and called to be conformed to Jesus Christ is in full time ministry. God wants to use you where you are. He wants to renew our mind because it is important that our minds be renewed because he has just said, according to the old humanity, that we're dark, we're blind, we're ignorant. We don't know anything, we're futile. And so our mind has to be renewed. Where does it say that in Romans? Come on, somebody. 12? Yeah. What does it say? So that you might not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. How do I get my mind renewed? He says here, I've got to hear and I've got to be taught. I've got to listen to what God says and I've got to be taught in what God says. We're here this morning because we're here to gather, have fellowship with one another. But we're here also to get our minds renewed. So that we might hear what God has to say. And that we might be taught in how we must live as God is speaking to us. We need, we need our minds renewed. And that means we need to hear the word of God. And we need to be taught the word of God. When Lou and I became Christians 50 years ago, 52 years ago actually. And we became part of a church up in the Val after we were here in Rosemont. To know the word of God was the most important thing for us as young Christians. We would listen to it. We'd go early in the morning to study it. And I, I see it early in the morning. I mean really early. So that we would be taught. The word. We'd meet all day Saturday to be taught in the Bible, in the different parts of the Bible. We would learn what each of the books would mean. We would take courses. We would go to seminars. 
We'd learn the Bible by heart. We would, we would learn how to study the Bible for ourselves. But you know what? Lula and I was talking the other day, and she says, Les, you're hitting a dead horse. The young people today don't want to do that. Is that true? Am I in the Word? Am I listening to it? What podcasts are you listening to? And I'm not being bad here. I want you to really think about this. Do you know how to study the Bible? Do you know how to get into the Bible yourself so that when someone is preaching, you can understand what he's saying or she is saying, and you can, you can get into it and you can contribute to it? Have you been taught? In today's world, there is no excuse for a Christian to not grow in the knowledge of the word. None whatsoever. But the church, I'm sorry to say, just doesn't seem to be there. Doesn't seem to be there. What's the look of the new humanity? It's a new creation. The word creation is used here. The biggest reason for Christ's resurrection is that it was the beginning of a new creation. Christ was raised from the dead and God started the new creation and he became the first of the new humanity and we follow him in his footsteps. We are part of the new creation. Let's live as a part of the new creation. Righteously being good toward our neighbor. Holy being pious toward God. Truthful and acting according to what God wants. Okay, I got a little bit of time. The next. This is verse 25 to 32. I won't take much time here. Maybe Dave will take some time next week. But I'd like us to read this. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each of you speak the truth with his neighbor. For we are members one of another. Be angry, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. Give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Let no corrupting talk Come out of your mouths, but only search as good for building up as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. Have you noticed in these verses the negative, the positive? Yeah, we got to get rid of the negative, but we get rid of the negative by doing the positive. What is Paul saying here? He's saying how the new humanity should be walking with one another. I've just taken the six of the five, sorry, the five ideas that are being given in verse 25 to 32 to try to give us an idea of how God wants us to walk one to another. We shouldn't be lying. We should be telling the truth. So God wants us to live sincere lives. 
I think I've already told you. Do you know where the word sincere comes from? Sincere. Wax. Huh? Wax. Yes, wax. Well, the pot would break, and they would put wax in the pot, and it wouldn't last. So people, when they used to go buy the pots or the vases, they used to put the pot and the vase up to the sun. And if they saw a fissure or a, 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 a crack, they'd say, C'est pas sincere. It's not sincere. It's not without um, wax. So God wants us to live in sincerity one to another without wax. Let's be truthful. Let us be vulnerable and transparent one with another. Let's live in safety. What does it mean, safety? It says be angry. Don't let the sun go down upon your anger. Don't give place for the devil. Very interesting. You know, one of the things that people search for most in communal living, whether it be in the family, whether it be in the church, it's safety. In our Bible study groups, are we safe? In our church, are we safe? Do I feel safe with my brothers and sisters? What Paul is saying here is, they're not always there getting angry at us because we're not doing as we should. No, fight whatever is bad, but don't let the sun go down upon the anger with your brother or your sister so that we can live in safety one with another. Live in selflessness. Don't steal, but work. But not only work, work so you can have something to give someone else. To live selflessness. Think about that, husbands and wives. We always looking to see who's doing the dishes? Joking. The idea, is it me or is it her? Like in our house, even... All of our, Tom and I, my uncles, we used to live downtown, and they would all be outside on the steps drinking tea. But they'd all look at one another. And as soon as one of them got up to go into the house, all you would hear amongst the four or five brothers, me too, me too, me too, me too. Why? Each was waiting for the other to go make the tea. We live like that. Think about the services that have to be done within the body and service one to another. Are you saying, well, let someone else do it? Or am I offering in selflessness to do it for them? Oh, this is a big one. In speech, what is my speech like toward my brothers and my sisters? If there's a need, something good, and, it, communi- uh, and it, com- it communicates a grace to those that are hearing. What is our speech like to one another? Are we bossy? <laughs> I'm being bad here. Uh, are, do, do we use vulgar language? When we get peeved, uh, what are we doing? How are we doing it? Are we shouting all the time? Are we always trying to win our rights? Using our mouths? Paul says we shouldn't be doing that. That's not the way we walk as the new humanity. And the last one, it's in graceful service. How can I serve someone? In verse 31 and 32, it's being gracious toward the people that are around me. 
that when I have a problem with someone and that person has caused bitterness in my heart and the desire for revenge, I, the, the wrath is building up in me and either I want to attack with my mouth or I want to attack with my, my physique. Well, Paul says, no. What you've got to do is you've got to be good. Compassionate. And being forgiving one to another. One of the greatest tools in being forgiving is to be able to do good. When someone has done something to you, you want to take this hate away, this bitterness away, get up and buy something for that person. Get up and do something for that person. You would be surprised how efficient and effective that is toward the people that you have a hard time with. Thoughts and definitions, decisions. What about your life in Christ? Are you walking according to the old man or the new man? Are you part of the old humanity or the new humanity? What about your discipleship? Are you learning Christ? Are you participating in community maintenance? And how are you doing it? That's it for me. Questions?